it is tough, especially since I'm wearing these. They may not look like they're trifocals, but because there's no line. But believe me, they distort everything. So you all look weird, just letting you know. <laughs> it is a privilege to be here. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank Pastor Tony for me and on my behalf. Uh, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you and we thank you for all that you are. We ask you to bless us this morning as we look to your word, speak to our hearts, and may we be changed forever. We want to know what your word has to say. We want to apply these truths to our lives. We want to act accordingly. In the world in which we live, we have a great privilege. and We don't want to take that for granted, so help us, Lord, to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, please. And I'm going to do just that. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's stop there for a moment. Oh, good, another preacher coming in, and he's going to talk about the full armor of God. You bet. As I'm telling you, in this world in which we live, if you go out without your armor on, you're going to get spanked. There's a interesting phenomena that takes place oh, virtually every morning in my house. I get up in the morning and I uh, walk over to this place where there's a hanger. And on this hanger, there are clothes. And they miraculously appear every day. It's like wonderful. I call it my magic hanger. Uh, it's because a number of reasons. One is that I'm partially colorblind. So my wife, when we first got married, she would wonder why I wore some of the things that I wore. Because when I was dating her way back in the day, when I was dating her, I was smart enough to go to the J.C. Penney Big and Tall Men's catalog. And whatever the guy had on, I wore that. And then I kept it together. And I kind of garanimals for men is what I, I did. So my wife thought that I knew how to dress myself. <laughs> and now I... She has learned that that's not the case. So in order for us to at least coordinate or for me not to humiliate or embarrass her, she goes through all the gymnastics to lay things out, which is nice. You know, God has done that for us, but it's so much more than that. You know, perhaps you work in a job where you have a uniform. Uh, by the way, every job has a uniform, even if it's informal. Every job has what the expected attire is, what you're supposed to wear. If you're in construction, you know, I did construction for a good while. When you're in construction, you have what's expected and then what you become familiar with. 
the tools that you're able to have at the ready when you need them. Every job has a uniform, while Christianity is no different. Only Christianity, we need to be fully prepared because there are consequences if we're not. You know, maybe if you're at your job and you don't have the right hammer, you can grab another hammer. Maybe, maybe, perhaps. But the reality is that God says, I want you to be fully prepared for the days ahead. And by the way, not for nothing. That, that's an Italian phrase. Not for nothing. The days ahead, they're now. We used to talk about the days ahead. We used to talk about, you know, one day things are going to start to spin out of control. One day things are going to get so terrible. One day there's going to be a one-world economy. One day there's going to be a one-world leadership. One day there's going to one, one day. Th- today, we're living in those days. Now, are we living in the last days? What well, We have a wonderful privilege. We are the generation that are the closest to the coming of the Lord than any previous generation. However... God, on the other hand, is exceedingly merciful. And he extends his mercy to the thousands of generations, which means he might let this last a good long while. So what do we do? We prepare for the immediate. We prepare for the Lord could come back at any moment. We have to have the Thessalonican mentality that Paul says you need to be ready today. And then we also have to have the mentality of having done all to stand, stand therefore. That's why we have the full armor. You know, could you imagine if we really knew that today at 2 o'clock the rapture was going to take place, what would we do? And in our mind, I, I know that since we're all wonderful Christians who dedicate our lives to the Lord, we would go out and we would make phone calls and we would reach those. We would try to drag as many people with us as we possibly could. We probably would not just celebrate and go alone with a couple of people that are close family and friends, but we would go and evangelize the whosoevers of the world. And God wants us to be able to have that mindset to say it could be today. But we also need to walk and to live circumspectly. So when you see this full armor of God and you see this phrase, sometimes it gets overlooked. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. That means... We need to stand up. Uh Uh-oh. Pastor Tony's away. Pastor Vince is coming in, and he's going to tell us we need to radicalize. (laughs) Absolutely not. There's a spirit of rebellion that is already in the heart of man. And the spirit of rebellion has infiltrated the church because it's already in the heart of man. And that spirit of rebellion is causing people to want to lash out and to speak out and to talk back to and stand up against. And God has a very strong word for his church. First is, he says, I call you my bride. So I want you to represent me well. And I call you my friend. And then I've given you this wonderful privilege in the world. So as we look at this section of scripture and we look at some uh, men who have taken a stand for the Lord, I want us to notice a couple of things about this full armor of God. If you could imagine, you take the young believer and you tell them, you're going to need to have the right footwear. Your feet are going to be shod with the gospel of peace. Okay. It's the preparation of the gospel. Let's get that straight. And we need to be fully prepared to be able to share the truth or the hope that is within you. Okay, great. Let's start there. Lace them up. We're ready to go. 
Then what else do we need? Well, you need the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, okay, I've got that. Good. That means a right standing with God. Good. I've got that. Okay, what else do I need? I need my helmet of salvation. Praise God, I'm saved. All glory to God. I need the shield of faith because there are fiery darts that are coming against me. That's great. And I need the sword of the Spirit. Oh, the word of God. Oh, that's awesome. I have everything that I need. Now I'm ready. And you take little Johnny and you say, no, go get him. Little Johnny's in big trouble. Little Johnny barely knows how to stand. You see those shoes? They're not his normal shoes. If you've been in any line of work for any period of time, you have tools that you are very comfortable with. Two instances. If you are a carpenter, contractor, or the like, you have a hammer you know you rely on. One day, I, I, my computer failed, and a friend of mine was coming in to fix my computer, and he said, I'll have to bring my tools. And I said, I've got plenty of tools in my office. And he looked at me with this weird look, and I said, I've got a great toolbox. It's right here. And he said, no, this is my toolbox. And he opened it up, and it's like, I'm, I'm an old guy, so the disks and things like that. And he had these hard drives, and he had the ability, and his tools looked nothing like a tool I was familiar with. And he could take his tools, and he could fix my computer. But any of my tools, you might be able to build a cabinet. You might be able to smash the computer, but you could never repair the computer. And he was really familiar with his tools. But you don't come out of the gate familiar with those tools. It takes a long time to get familiar with those tools. We need to grow in those tools. And can you imagine the heart of God represented in the heart of Jesus? We're going to look at two men today. One is going to be Peter, and the second is going to be Paul. And the first, I want to look just briefly at several points in Peter's life. That Peter came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by being invited firsthand. His brother brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus asked him and said, I want to make you a fisher of men. You're already a good fisher of fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Follow me. That was the beginning of Peter's walk with Christ. We could say it is the beginning of Peter's ministry. If you want to see Peter's ministry, the ups and downs, the four Gospels are not shy to record his ups and his downs. When you see the failures, the, the deep failures of Peter, look to the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark's his nephew. And you can almost hear Peter saying to him, don't leave that out. I failed my Lord and people need to know of my failures as well. So when you see the Gospels and you put the record together and you see how it all fits, you can see the hand of Jesus taking a man like Peter and this man of such physical character, physical strength, leadership qualities and abilities, he needed to grow in using that armor. You see, Peter was already a very strong man. And you see in John chapter 21, Jesus is going to meet Peter after he fails radically. So as the two men try to grab a load of fish and drag it in, and they can't. So Peter grabs it himself, and one man can do two men's work and drag it to shore. So this is not some kind of Peter half a sissy. This is Peter's strong man. 
This is a man who could stand up. This is a man that when he stood up, people listened because something was going to happen. And Jesus took this man, Peter, and called him and said, I want to make you a fisher of men. Follow me. And Peter followed him. You would think that everything is wonderful. Let me get you the full armor. All right, Pete, you got your feet shod with the the preparation of the gospel of peace? You bet. See, Peter had a different problem. His problem was not his feet. His problem was not his hands. His problem was his mouth. That's right. It's always what came out of his mouth that seemed to be the biggest problem. The ups and downs were never because of his physical ability. The ups and downs were because of what came out, his dealing with other people. And then you see Jesus say, okay, now you've got the helmet of salvation. Pete, you're saved. That's great. You've got the shield of faith. Peter had great faith. You have the sword of the spirit. I've got the sword of the spirit. Let's go. I will be as offensive as anybody you've ever got. Uh, I mean that in the best way, Jesus. And this is Peter. And Jesus didn't say, look, Pete, first time you foul up, I'm going to put you to the side. I'm never going to use you again. But he allowed Peter to grow. If you've ever been a child, and we've all been children, if you've ever had children, if you've ever tried to teach and to train a child, you know that there is one word that will become a challenge to you, and that is patience. When you want to teach them, I mean to do anything, to write their name, to ride a bicycle, to, you know, to do anything, we need to be patient. And God is just so patient with us because he tells us that we need to not just stand, but having done all to stand. We live in a society, I shared earlier, we like to push back. We like to do those things that are rebellious. We like to say, I need to stand up. There's not a person today that I can name that is not offended by something that's going on in the world. And they feel as though they need to stand up against something. And the worst thing that people can do, in my estimation, is to just rail on social media against something. I don't think we should stand out against things. I think we should stand for and stand with Jesus Christ. Let that dictate our actions. Let that dictate what we will do as our next step representing him. But it's going to take steps of growth. Peter was a wonderful man. And you see in Matthew chapter 16 that Peter will stand up for Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, you find that Jesus is now meeting with his disciples. And it's about, he's coming to a conclusion. He's letting his disciples know he's going to go to the cross. And as a result of that, he starts to talk with them intimately. And he said, who do people say that I am? And they start to respond. Some believe you're a miracle worker. I mean, they, they can't deny that. Some believe you're, you're reincarnated. Some believe you're someone brought back from the dead. Some believe you're a prophet. Some believe... Some, he said, okay, who do you say that I am? Peter stood up. This is one of the first times Peter stands up. We're going to look at Peter standing up because when you're told to stand, it means to stand up, to put your head above the others, to stand up and say, I am not any longer going to just sit. I'm going to stand. And as Peter then stands, he says, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. Wow. He knocked it out of the park. Great job, Pete. It's not very long after that. Peter does this. That's right. I got it. I'm doing good. I'm fitting into this new uniform pretty well. I got my shield here. I got my sword here, my helmet. I'm ready to go. Toss me another one. Then Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for your sin. I'm going to knock this one out of the park too. Hey, Jesus. He puts his sword away. He puts his arm. I'm, I'm putting myself in his shoes for a moment. He puts his arm around Jesus and he says, you were doing good there for a minute. You had us. We're with you. You don't have to die. You've got me. You've got me? Yeah. Why would Peter think that? Because Jesus, although he's a strong man, the man's a carpenter. He's no slouch himself. This is a man who you know, was physically fit, physically strong. And Peter could respect him. But Peter said, whoa, wait a minute. This dying thing, you don't have to now. You've got me. Now, notice that I can tell you that Peter, my position, Peter believes himself already head and shoulders above the rest. Physically and now spiritually. Because he heard from Jesus, great job, Pete. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven, that's right, God speaks to me. And then as Jesus said that, and he tells his disciples hard things. Peter then stands up again and quietly puts his arm around Jesus and says, come with me. It doesn't have to be that way. Don't let it go that way. We'll take care of you. In fact, even if all of those guys fail you, you can rely on me. And what's Jesus' response? It's only two verses down the road. And you, you see that the tide changes. And then another conversation, almost immediately following it, Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. You're now aligning yourself. You're standing up with Satan. Be careful with whom you stand. And Peter's standing up with Satan. He's like, but I didn't think I was. And Jesus could have crushed him. But he didn't. He said, look, Pete, there's going to be hard times coming. And bad things are going to happen. And by the way, you're going to deny me. I would never deny you. Me, I'm the strongest guy in the bunch. God speaks to me, remember? Let me remind you. No, I want you to know that you're going to deny me. But when, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. When you come back... You're going to fail. And Peter is incredulous. No, this is never going to happen. But it does not take long. We're just looking at some instances in Peter's life where Jesus allows him to grow. He stood. He's trying to find the fit. He's trying to find the strength. He's trying to find how does all of this work together? I've got the sword of the spirit. I've got the shield of faith. I've got the helmet of salvation. Which one is necessary? You know, there was a good group of people that pray here on Sunday mornings before service. Praise God. One of them was uh, very encouraging. <clears throat> Not that all the prayers weren't encouraging. <laughs> Just for you guys that are keeping score. 
One prayer was this. Lord, let all of the gifts be exercised and demonstrated here. May the teaching, the love, the mercy, the peace, the exhortation, the helps, may all of it be used. Worship, may it be filled and fruitful here in this body. You see, we're not just one-tooled individuals. We have a full armor of God. And sometimes we need the shield of faith, and sometimes we need the sword of the Spirit, and sometimes we need the breastplate and the helmet and the shoes, and we need all of it to protect us and to go out into the world safely. God said, I'm going to take you and use you mightily. I will be with you and never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes it's uncomfortable learning how to walk through this world. And sometimes we want to stand up without being prepared. That's why we have that sentence. Having done all to stand, then stand. Don't go out unprepared. Don't go out unfamiliar with the armor of God. Don't go, we used to use the phrase years ago, don't go off half-cocked. It's a, a phrase when they used to have to pull a hammer back on a gun all the way back. If it was only half-cocked when you pulled the trigger, it would not fire. You had to pull it all the way back. Don't just in haste, just act and say, I've got it, Lord. Peter's learning to not just act in haste and say, I've got it, Lord. Because you see that eventually Jesus does fulfill what it is he says he's going to do. And he's taken and he's arrested. While he's arrested, we start to see Peter stand on his own. Jesus is greeted by Judas in the garden, and Peter pulls out the wrong sword. He doesn't bring out the sword of the Spirit. He brought out the sword that he's very familiar with, one that he's more comfortable with. I will use the strength of my right arm. I will defend my Jesus, and I'll hurt that man if necessary. Was his heart right? No, it needed to be adjusted. He failed to listen to what Jesus had been teaching him, and as he's listening to what Jesus is teaching him, he's growing, and Jesus doesn't leave him. But Jesus corrects the mistake and says to Peter, put away your sword. There's a time coming, but right now, I want you to know that I'm going to do what I've been prepared to do. Peter's confused now. I'm trying. I really am trying. I've tried to step out. I've tried to step up. I've, I've tried to take the sword. I've tried to defend. I don't know where to go. Can you hear the words of Jesus saying, look, Pete, you're kind of all over the place. You're standing up, but you're standing up with that guy, or you're standing up in front of me, or you're standing behind me too far, or you're standing somewhere, but you need to find your place. Where are you going to stand? The question is, where will we stand and with whom will we stand? I mean, that's where we're going with this. We're all called to stand. Are we going to stand equipped? Are we going to stand where we're supposed to be? Are we going to stand with whom we're supposed to? And if we do, then we're going to accomplish great things. Because look at what takes place. Peter then says, okay, they've taken Jesus. I don't know what to do. You find here then in John, uh, I want you to know that you're going to have to take my word for this. I'll give you the examples in the scripture. Because of my glasses are making me kind of nauseous here. And without them, I'm completely blind. <clears throat> so, I'm... Um, going to have to rely on memory. You trust the word of God. When you go to 
John chapter 18. And then you start to read John chapter 18, verses 15 to 25. I'm going to look it up and pick it up so I don't get... I don't want Tony calling me saying, how come you never opened the Bible? I say, it was open, I just couldn't see it. <laughs> In verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple, and that disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus to the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then went out that other disciple, which was known to the high priest, and spoke to her that kept the door and brought Peter in. So where's Peter? He's standing outside. You know the story that he's following at a distance, and he's keeping uh, too far a distance between him and his Lord. Peter stood at the door outside, and then verse 18, verse 17, Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Aren't you the one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. The servants and officers stood, who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Not for nothing. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul writes that to the Corinthians. And he says, you need to be careful where you're hanging out. You need to be careful of your influences. You need to be careful of those people who you have conversation with and who you allow to influence you. And if there's one thing this entire world is filled with, it's influences and influencers. They've made it now a profession of influencers because we're easily influenced. We need to be careful by what we're influenced. We need to be in the word of God, and by whom we're influenced. And Peter now finds himself standing up with people warming themselves, the enemy's fire here. And the servants and officers stood there, and Peter stood with them. The high priest then asked Jesus and his disciples of his doctrine, and now we find the event. But as you get down to verse 25, it says, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they said, therefore, unto him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. Then one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? with Peter denied again. And then the cock crowed. I know who you are. I'm never going to forget you. That's got to be a painful experience. And I've never had my ear lopped off, but I imagine it's a pretty terrible thing to have happen. I've never had my ear miraculously restored, but I imagine that would be a remarkable experience. And here is one who got to see this firsthand. And he said, and I saw you. Aren't you the one? And Peter could have said anything other than what he said, but he denied his Lord. And then, of course, the rooster goes, what? Because Peter's standing in the wrong place and he's standing with the wrong people. Why is this important? Well, because you find in John chapter 21, scroll ahead just a chapter or so. And in John chapter 21, read at verse 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any meat? And they answered him, no. He then said, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. 
and the cast are for. This is an event that took place that is remarkable, and sometimes it becomes familiar, and we just kind of relegate it to history and say, oh, that's nice. This is miraculous. This is the restoration of a good man. This is a man finding his feet. We, uh, I don't know if you guys still use that. This generation uses that, but we used to use it of our kids. They're just finding their feet. They're trying to find how they're able to stand, and they're not able to run until they're able to walk well, and then when they run, they, you just can't stop them. And then as they grow, they become, it becomes natural. And we want them to find their feet. And Jesus wants us to find our feet. He wants Peter to find his feet. So what does he do? Jesus is standing on the seashore. Because Peter needs to see him stand. Peter doesn't need to see him lay. Peter doesn't need to see him sit. Peter needs to see him stand. And Jesus, they're standing and he's cooking fish. And he says, hey, fellas, I know what you're after. Jesus says to them, have you gotten any? No. We haven't. Hasn't been very fruitful. Well, cast your net on the right side of the ship. And, of course, the analogies just carry on. You're not doing the right thing. Why? Because Peter, he stood up and he said, I'm going fishing. Where are you going? Stop. Well, it didn't work out. I tried to stand on my own, and that didn't work. I tried to stand next to those by the fire, and that didn't work. I tried to stand with you guys, and that didn't work. So where am I going to do? I'm going to go stand on my own. I can take care of it. I can go back to fishing. I've got a boat. I've got two strong arms. And Jesus could have left him, but he didn't. Jesus standing on the shore. Says, cast your net on the right side. They try to pull it in. They can't. Two guys can't. You can almost hear Peter with his grunt going, oh, these guys. I wish they would just muscle up a little bit. And he grabs the net and he drags it in. Until we get the fish in, I can't have my encounter with Jesus and I need to have an encounter with Jesus. I don't know what it's going to look like. The encounter goes like this. Jesus looks at Peter, offers him fish. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love? Could have asked him any question at all. Could have said, Peter, you let me down. Could have said, Peter, why did you? How come you were hanging out where you shouldn't? I find the teaching of Jesus amazing. Jesus asked questions. The most effective teaching that I've ever had has been people asking me questions. What does that mean to you? How would you change that if you had it to do over? What does the word of God have to apply to that part of your life? Are you going to continue doing that or have you made a decision? What does the word of God have to say concerning that? These are the men that have spoken into my life that have changed my world. Jesus is that man. He asked a question, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know, I like you. As a brother, uh, there's no better. Feed my sheep. And he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Why are you asking? Didn't I already answer the question? Yeah, I asked it, but you didn't answer it truthfully. You didn't get right to the core of your heart. And I want you to be able to stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Peter is growing. Peter is getting there. Peter is a natural leader. Jesus has already told him, when you fail, come back and strengthen the brethren. I have to strengthen the brethren. How do I strengthen the brethren? I'm the one that is the biggest loser in the bunch. I led them 
in rejecting you. I led them in rebelling against you. I led them in denying you. And now I'm leading them in going away and turning away from you. I'll be a Christian, but I'm not going to stand up as one anymore. I'll believe that Jesus and I'll be saved. But man, it's dangerous out there in the world. I don't want to stand up in this world because if you stand up and identify as a Christian in this world, Peter, I know we're taking it to today because we have to. The word of God is just as applicable today as it was for Peter. And for Peter, he's saying, I don't want to stand up as a Christian because there's no benefit to it. I can lose my job. I can lose my life. I can lose my family. I can lose, 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 lose. And Jesus can say, well, what does it help a man if he were to gain everything but lose his soul? And Peter's like, I know, I understand those words, but it's tough to live it out. And I've been trying. And every time I stand up, it seems that it's almost effective. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a home run and sometimes it's a failure. And Jesus doesn't crush him. Jesus says, I need men who are willing to stand up. Is it always going to be a home run? No. But once in a while, you will get it right. Will you fail him? Yes. Absolutely, you will fail him. And it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to need to hear these words from your Lord Jesus, I forgive you. It's okay. It's part of the growth. And as Peter is walking through this, he's hearing the words of Jesus. The third time Jesus asked him, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Out of frustration and uh, the heart release, he says, you know all things. You know I love you. Peter, feed my lambs. That's what you're called to do. It's who you're called to be. Will you feed them? It's not two sentences later that Jesus asks Peter, tells him some things that are going to happen to him, and then asks him, he said, Peter, follow me. How can I follow you? You're leaving. The same way we follow him. We follow him in walking with him every day, walking in the word, having our Preparation made every morning. Every morning we need to put on the full armor of God. Are we going to make a home run every day? Boy, wouldn't that be nice. Are we going to be able to defend against all the wiles of the enemy? Yes. Are we going to be efficient at it? You're going to get more efficient the more you practice. We're going to get better at it the more we grow in the strength and the ability. But the church in America wants to stand without being fully equipped. We want to stand up because we see that things are wrong. So we want to say, that's wrong. And then when someone says, why is that wrong? We say, because it is, or the Bible says so. It's got to be somewhere in there. And then we start to call people like Pastor Tony. Pastor Tony, where is it in here that it says that? Or we Google it. Or Wikipedia, which is terrible if you want to ask And we try to find truth in any place because we've already gone out to battle and we don't have the preparation. We're engaging others and then we fall back to eventually, we fall back to, nuh-uh, really? Is that the effective defense of the gospel? Nuh-uh. But that's what I hear all the time. Nuh-uh. Oh, it gets better. Says you. Says you? 
I'm waiting for the arm rubber, your glue argument. That defense. Peter says we need to be better prepared. And you don't get prepared until you step out and you develop the skill and ability to be able to use the tools and equipment God has given you. Have we ever stood against the wiles of the enemy? Have we ever stood up? Have we ever taken that shield of faith and had fiery darts cast at us? Have we ever put on that helmet of salvation? Have we prepared our feet for the gospel of peace, which means have we shared the gospel with others around us? Or are we undercover Christians? Are we willing to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the most important tool we have, the Word of God, and get to be so familiar with it that it's an extension of our hand? That wherever we go, we have the word of God able to share it, to be able to do what is necessary with the word of God. And if we fail to prepare, if we fail to, I mean, you do not send a soldier out to war by saying, here's your equipment, go get them. Say, here is the equipment and let's get trained. Let's get equipped. Then we can go and be sent. This was all Peter's training process. So that then we start to see these miraculous events unfold. You start to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead and Peter and John going. And you see Peter again as John goes into the tomb. Peter stood by. He's good at that. You could say he's a stand-up guy. Well, up until this point, he's kind of a stand-around guy. Whenever he stands up and he stands up on his own, there are bloody ears on the ground. So I think he's learning, I'm not going to act in haste. That's a step toward the wisdom. It's not long that they see Jesus Christ and Peter is reestablished. And he says, Lord, I will follow you. What does that mean? You then get into the book of Acts and in chapter 1, verse 25, you see that as the disciples are there, Peter stood up and said, men and brethren, we're lacking one. And the scripture must be fulfilled. Whoa! Great job! What is Peter relying on? You don't have to worry about it, Jesus. I won't let that happen to you. No! Now he's saying the word of God must be fulfilled. You want to be strong and you want to stand up for something? Stand up for the word of God. You want to stand up for something and have it impact people's lives? Know the word of God so that you're able to stand up. And then having done all to stand, stand there for it. God takes this man, builds him in the eyes of the men around him, so that when the Holy Spirit comes upon him in chapter 2, down to verse 24 and 5, and it says that as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up. Can you imagine being one of the other guys with him, a James or John? Now, Peter and John didn't seem to get along. And as Peter and John were interacting with each other, it seems that there was some type of jealousy going on. And when Peter would stand up and he would cut off an ear, everybody felt the pain because he's going to get us in trouble. And when Peter would stand up and he would offend somebody, everybody felt the pain because we're all going to have to suffer. And as Peter would stand up, you can almost hear, at the very least, you would hear John go, ah, here we go again. But when Peter stood up and he said, the scripture must be fulfilled, then they all said, how do you argue with that? Let's get behind that because there is a man who has now found his feet. And as he found his feet, he's now beginning to walk. And as he begins to walk, he aligns himself saying, I know what I've done wrong. I've stepped up. And sometimes I am right alongside of Jesus. Home run.
Sometimes I step out in front of him and he has to reel me back in because now you're taking the place with my enemy. So I'm going to take a step back. It's also bad. He followed Jesus at a distance and that was unsafe for him. He found himself standing with even the enemy saying, I'm just going to have no part in this. No, you can't have that either. Where am I going to stand? I have to stand. I know the truth. I can't just let it go. I have to stand. Well, having done all to stand, stand there for him. Peter is now learning. This is where I need to stand. I need to stand with Jesus. I need to hear his words. You know, the very first words he said to me were, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And I liked, I'm going to be a fisher of men, but I forgot to follow me. I knew that I had to walk in lockstep with my Lord Jesus or everything, my gifts, talents, and abilities. Sometimes they're going to line up. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're going to bring good effect. Sometimes they're going to bring pain. But I know when they're going to be most effective when I'm following closely with my Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's learning that. and Now he's becoming effective. When you get into chapter 2, verses 25 and following, you then see that Holy Spirit falling upon them, that people start looking and say they're drunk with new wine. And Peter, here is a phrase that if you have never read it like this, please read it. Peter stood up with the 11. That means they all stood with him. Can you imagine? They all went from, who is this Peter? He's a loose cannon. Who is this Peter? I don't know if I even like him. Who is this Peter? I don't, we don't always get along. I know that he's got a kind of, who is this Peter? He's a man I can stand with. And Peter stood up with the 11. And then he spoke. And he said, we're unified in the Holy Spirit. And this is spoken by the prophets of old. Let me take you to the word of God. And how effective was that? No ears on the ground. No bloody problems for Jesus Christ to correct. Thousands are added to the church. Because he stood with his Jesus. We need to be careful where we stand. And we need to learn these steps of faithful obedience. Going all the way back to Ephesians chapter 6. We read this. That this is the conclusion of a letter. And as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, I know what you guys are going to face because Christians that look just like you are facing it all over the world in various degrees. Here in the United States, Christians are facing challenges and persecution that are different than they are in other places in the world. Some have tried to minimize it and say, yeah, well, compared to the Christians in fill in the blank, we shouldn't even call it persecution. I think this is a step where we are learning to find our feet. And we need to be careful where we stand and how we stand. Because I want us, the church, to stand with Christ. I want us to be able to stand up for him. I don't want to be, the church is already known for what we're against. There are people that believe the church is against them, against this, that we're haters and part of that is deserved because the church in America has stood up against rather than stand up for. And when the church in America stands up with Christ, we'll be effective. But we need to stand up fully trained and equipped. 
So we don't just jump into Ephesians 6 and say, that's great, I've got my sword, I'm going to go sharpen it so I can go out there and go and and grit our teeth. And no, we need to start at Ephesians chapter 1, and we need to read the book of Ephesians. And we need to see how we get prepared. We need to rely fully on the Holy Spirit that he has taken us and sealed us and preserved us. We need to allow our Lord God to mold us and make us into men and women that are fit for the good works ahead of us. We need to take and recognize that we need to be in full prayer because the battle is ahead. Then we need to submit ourselves one to another and learn how to have our relationship with God right and our relationship with our fellow man right. And then having done all to stand, then stand therefore. It's not just a matter of making sure I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but it's having a heart of compassion for the lost. It's not just a matter of knowing four verses from the Word of God or carrying my Bible with me, but it's knowing the heart of God represented by the Word of God. And if we know the heart of God, we'll treat people a little differently than maybe we treat them today. And since we are commanded to know the heart of God, and we are commanded to be known by our love for the brethren, That's the way we need to represent him when we stand up. And when we stand up in this world and we stand up for Christ, it will have the desired effect. What will that desired effect be? Well, Peter says this, you're going to be persecuted. This world's going to hate you. But in Peter's day, thousands upon thousands were fit to be persecuted even unto death for the gospel's sake because they could not turn their back on the truth and they would stand with Christ and endure the fellowship of the suffering. I want to encourage you today. You're probably looking for a way to stand up. I encourage you to stand up. But stand up for the truth and stand up fully armored in the word of God and to stand up for your Lord Jesus Christ, and to stand with him, and to be fully equipped for this wonderful day. How can you say it's a wonderful day, Pastor? How can you say, because this world has now provided a great opportunity. People are looking at men and women who call themselves Christian. People are looking to you. They're looking to you in your workplace. They're looking to you in the home. They're looking to how you raise your children and the decisions you make and how you make them. And very probably how you make your decisions is more important than the decisions that you make because people are going to ask you. And as you are asked the questions, please be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And not to just rail against, but be prepared to give an answer for the hope. To stand as Peter and say, I've tried it my way. I've tried going out in my strength. I've tried doing it by stepping ahead. I've tried laying it aside. And I find it fully impacting and beneficial when I walk in lockstep with my Lord Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, lives will be changed. Father, we come to you and we thank you for all that you are. As we, every day, put on the full armor of God. May we not neglect the weightier, the prayer, the preparation, making sure that we're fully fit to be able to represent you. 
we really do strive to stand for you and to stand with you. Lord, help us to be faithful and efficient at the having done all to. May we be better equipped and may we represent you well. And may you receive all the glory that you're due. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.